please turn with me in God's word to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As our subject this evening is the resurrection, there's hardly a better passage to go to than uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to read the first uh, 22 verses together. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 22. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as risen from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We were even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. I realize it's a cruel thing to stop in the middle of that uh, chapter, but we want to consider the things that uh, we learn from the beginning portion of that chapter together and think particularly about the resurrection of the dead. Um, We just were thinking about this and the resurrection of Jesus Christ last week when it was Easter. Um, And sometimes when we take time to think about Easter, some churches will say, well, every Sunday is about Easter. Uh, We always are thinking about Easter. And so that's, in in a sense, why I titled our sermon, He is Still Risen. Um, He is still risen indeed. He is still living. 
And even though we celebrate that on maybe particularly and take note of it in particular one Sunday of the year, we know that we gather every Sunday of the year because he is risen. Um, Every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. Uh, We meet on the first day of the week because he was raised on the first day of the week, because he reoriented the church through his apostles to meet on the first day of the week, uh, to think about the rest that Christ has provided and is providing by his life. And as Paul says, that is the great message that we have brought to the world. He is risen, and what that message means for you. Uh, I'll read a quote from J. Gresham Machen, who talked about the history and the message of application of that history that we bring to the world. He said this, The great weapon with which the disciples of Jesus set out to conquer the world was an historical message, an account of something that had recently happened. It was the message, He is risen. The world was to be redeemed through the proclamation of an event. And with the event went the meaning of the event. And the setting forth of the event with the meaning of the event was doctrine. These two elements are always combined in the Christian message. The narration of the facts is history. The narration of the facts with the meaning of the facts is doctrine. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. That is history. He loved me and gave himself for me. That is doctrine. Um, That's what the disciples went forth with in the world. They had a historical message. He is risen. Right? That is a truth. That is a historical event that they proclaimed. And we're here this evening still because of that historical event. Uh, that the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ occurred um, probably in an April morning, probably around the year 33 AD. Um, an event in history that happened. He is risen. That's always the message that we are bringing. And we always want to make sure people understand the meaning of that message for us. Right? He is risen is history. Um, The fact that he's risen for us, that he died for us to pay for our sins, that he's been raised for our justification, that's the good news of the gospel of what God has done for us. It's that fact that that event means that for us that makes all the difference. And that's what we always want to do when we think about the gospel. The gospel is the application of that good news, explaining the good news with its meaning. I like that as a definition of doctrine. Sometimes people say, doctrine, that sounds very heady. Um, And all we're saying is, we're just telling you what Jesus did and what it means for you. That's doctrine. What God has done and what that means for you. And the good news is that he has risen for you. That by God's grace, through faith in Christ, his resurrection from the dead assures us that we will one day be raised from death to resurrection life like his. Uh, That it happens in different different parts, in different aspects that we can consider, that we do in question 45. But it's a really important question. How does Christ's resurrection, that event, benefit us? And that's what we want to think about this evening. 
um, to know for certain that because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can say with faith and hope, one day God will raise me from the dead. Um, And to live in light of that wonderful message. And that's not a message that should ever be limited to Easter, to a a once-a-year consideration. Uh, We should think and meditate on that event often, and so I'm glad we have a chance to think about tonight the fact that he is still risen and what that means for us. Um, And that gospel message always needs to be proclaimed because as Paul is confronting here, sometimes people forget it. Sometimes people begin to ask questions about it. Uh, Sometimes people even begin to question the fundamentals of the faith. And it seems that there were some in the Corinthian church that were even asking the question, are the dead raised at all? Um, And Paul wants to talk to them in that situation and by talking to them, talk to us. And he writes these words, these wonderful words about the resurrection, this passage together this evening. The truth proclaimed, the truth questioned, and the truth confirmed. In that, I hope we will be comforted once again by the assurance of the resurrection of the dead and life in Christ. Um, Paul begins with this section talking to the Corinthians about their shared history with the gospel. They had received this good news from Paul already. And Paul talks about the shared history of what they've done. Um, We always need to be clear that good news, that's just what gospel means that he had shared the gospel with them. They'd heard the preaching of Christ risen from the dead as the hope of sinners. Uh, They had heard this gospel proclaimed, and Paul himself will define the gospel as he goes along. But he wants to really focus in on the shared history they have with the gospel. Uh, This is not the first time he's proclaiming these things to them. Uh, They've already had an opportunity to hear the gospel from the Apostle Paul. And he begins by reminding them of that shared history that they had. And Paul's doing this in order to lay the groundwork for answering the questions that have been raised. And so Paul wants once again to simply proclaim the truth to them and remind them of their shared history in the gospel. He wants them to turn their minds back to when they first encountered this message. Uh, For them it would have been a very happy thing to think about. Um, if, you, if you've had a conversion experience where you're walking at a time without the Lord and can remember the time the Lord turned you to himself. So this is a wonderful opportunity for Paul to talk to the Corinthian church and say, think back with me when I first brought you that good news. The good news of Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. How he was delivered up for our transgressions. How he was raised for our justification. Remember back when we first did that together. And remember the impact that had. I preached it to you, Paul says. I brought you the good news and you received it. Uh, You welcomed it as what it is. The truth of God. And it began to do something for you. It did something for you in the past that's being carried on even to this present moment. And what is the gospel doing for the church? Well, Paul tells them at the beginning, at the end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. Right? He says, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Um, 
Paul says you, you heard it and it had an effect. It, has an, it had an effect that it still has. And it's a wonderful way of thinking about what the word does for us as Paul lays it out there. You received it in which you stand and by which you are being saved. Now, scripture sometimes talks in different ways about salvation, doesn't it? Sometimes it'll say you've been saved. Sometimes it says you will be saved. Sometimes it says you are being saved. But what a wonderful way to think of the gospel. It's the power in which we stand and by which we are being saved. That truth. Paul says, remember that. We had that shared history. It's still alive and well among you. And then he makes a penetrating observation about the present. Uh, That cutting remark at the end of verse 2. Where he says, which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Um, That would have been a jarring thing to suddenly hear, right? Because the beginning is filled with such certainty. And those ifs and unlesses, can rob us of all the joy. Just talking about that with someone this morning. right? We don't like the ifs and the unlesses. I like in which you stand and which you're being saved. I don't want to hear if. What, what is the point of Paul doing? He's saying, are you still standing in that? Have you believed in vain? Is this good news or isn't it? Is it true or isn't it? He's making them think about this. You received it and you stood in it. You stood firm in it. You're being saved by it. Do you still believe it? Is it still your confidence? Or is the fear creeping in that maybe this good news wasn't all that it was cracked up to be? Maybe there are, there are cracks in this dam that it's not holding up as well as I thought it might. It's meant to be a provocative statement. Are you holding fast? Have you lost confidence in this truth? Have you believed in vain? Does it not do for you what God says it does to believe in the gospel of his son? He wants them to think about that because the gospel leaves no reason for doubt. Paul wants to make the point to them once again, this is something worth clinging to. This is something that does save. That's something people should hold fast to in faith. And something who, if you truly believe in it, you do not believe in it in vain. And so what does he do? He proclaims the gospel to them once again. That's really what he does in verses 3 through 8. As if to remind them of the gospel he preached to them, he preaches it to them again. So they might understand clearly what the gospel is that he's referring to. The gospel is the good news that was given to Paul by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Um, Paul says, I delivered to you what I received. We we think about that when we celebrate communion from 1 Corinthians 11. He says, "I, I delivered to you what I also received. Here he says the same thing about the gospel. I delivered to you what I received. From whom did he receive it? From the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's who Paul received it from. Paul was not a second generation preacher who received the truth from 
the apostles, he's someone who received it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it meant that you were an apostle. That Jesus came to you and said, take this good news out. That's why Paul says, I'm, I'm as one untimely born. Because I wasn't like those other apostles who was always walking with Jesus and saw Jesus in his life. I met him after he rose from the dead. I met him when I was doing my best to destroy his church. And he stopped me and asked me what I was doing. And he reoriented me and sent me out to preach to the Gentiles. I had a different experience than all the other apostles. But it was the same Lord that sent us all out. Sent us all out to do the same thing. Which was to take what he had given us, the good news of salvation, and deliver it. That's what makes the gospel, as it comes from the apostles, so powerful. Is that they can say, this is what the Lord told me about your sin. That he's willing to forgive you if you seek him. This is not man-made religion. It's, it's the truth of what happened. Not just the events of what happened as truth. But the truth of the Lord who explained the meaning of the events to these apostles and said, now you take this and bring it out into the world. And what they could do is take that word to people and say, the Lord spoke to me and told me to bring you this news. The Lord told me that he died for sinners. The Lord told me to bring this good news to the ends of the earth. The Lord told me to assure you that he will turn away none who seek him. That all who come to him, he will lose none of them. He will raise them up on the last day. That's his word of power. That's why the, the apostles were enabled to do miracles. So those miracles could testify to the fact they were not crazy people saying, oh, I spoke to the Lord and he told me to do this. The miracles they did were bearing witness to the fact that they went out in the power of the Lord. And Paul says, that's, who, that's from whom I received the good news. I received it from the Lord. And he sent me out to proclaim it to the Gentiles, to proclaim it to people like you, so that you would believe. So that you would believe the truth of the message. And what is the message? Christ died for our sins. Right? All of us are sinners. We've all broken the law of God. We've all broken the law of our rightful and sovereign king. We are rebels against the crown. Um, and we deserve to be executed for our rebellion. For our sins against God who is our king. And the message that's to be brought out is. The king himself loved you so much. That rather than put you to death for your sin. He came into the world to die for them. To die in your place. That your sins might be paid for and covered. The king himself came into the world. To bear the punishment that we deserve. As we've talked about before, he stood trial in our place and was declared innocent. But he took our guilt on himself and died on the cross. He died an accursed death to assure us that he took our curse on himself. And he died for our sins. That's what happened on the cross of Calvary. That event 
the meaning of it was the king of glory died there for his subjects that they might live. He took their punishment so that they would not receive it. He received the wrath of God to deliver us from it. That's the meaning of that great event. That's the gospel truth that Paul proclaimed. He said it happened just the way the scriptures said it would. This is not just the testimony that we've borne that's been created just in these last days. This is what the prophets testified to. This is what the word of God has always testified to, that these events would come and happen. Jesus on the road to Emmaus could take those people through from all the scriptures, from the law, from the prophets, from the Psalms, and talk about how all of them were pointing to him. Right? The, the truth of what would happen was laid out in the Old Testament. Then it happened in history. And now what do apostles do? They point back to that and say, that, that has all happened just as God said it would. It's all taken place just as God's promised. It was all fulfilled. That the significance of that event um, is, as the Catechism says in the first point, by his resurrection he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. He overcame something in his death. Um, And when he died, he was buried. Uh, He really died. But his burial testifies to his innocence. He was buried not as a crucified criminal, but as a righteous man. Um, His death and burial testify to his righteousness to his innocence. And then the culmination of the good news is that he has been raised up. That he truly died and was buried, but now he lives. He's risen from the dead. Um, Here too, Paul considers this a past event with continuing consequences. He's been raised and he still lives. Uh, He's been raised and he ever lives for sinners. And people can attest to that fact. There were people who talked to him and walked with him after he died. Who were with him when he was alive. And Paul said, it's not a small number of people who can testify that he lived after he died. Now again, like we said on Easter Sunday, we understand this is a hard sell for people. But the apostles understood that was a hard sell. People didn't not die and then come back to life back then all the time. Um, People understood. But what the eyewitnesses went and said is, I know that people who die don't come back to life, except he did. And I know that because I saw him die. And we saw him buried. And then we saw him alive. And I know you don't have breakfast with people who are dead. But he wasn't dead. He came out alive again. You say, well, that can't happen except if God does something like that. Yeah, that's the point. That's all we're saying is this is what this event means. He's been raised from the dead. Peter saw it. The original disciples saw it. 500 people saw it at one time. Paul says now, again, being honest, not all of them are still alive, but a lot of them still are. Paul's way of saying, you know, you could go talk to the people who saw him when he appeared to 500 people at one time. 
He was seen by James. He was seen by all the apostles. And finally, Paul says, as one born out of time, I saw him. A persecutor of the church. Unworthy to see him. But I am what I am by his grace. That as a persecutor of the church, he appeared to me and allowed me to be an apostle. Paul wrestles at the scriptures and other places with the fact that God would take the chief of sinners and make him the chief of witnesses to the Gentiles. He says that only happens by grace. By grace I am what I am. By grace I can testify to the grace of the Savior because he showed it to me that I might labor with all of them to do what? Proclaim this good news to the world. That there is a risen Savior who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. That's the good news of the gospel. And that all those who put their faith and trust in him have part in him. Um, Paul wants to spend most of his time on the truth, the truth proclaimed uh, before he allows the questions to come. Um, He wants to spend his time on the truth. So he could say with all the other apostles, he's risen, I've seen him, he spoke to me and told me to take this good news to you, to tell you that he died for your sins, um, that he's been raised for your justification, that all those who put their faith and trust in him can know that he died for them and their sins were buried with him and when he came out to new life, you came out to new life. But that's the good news of the gospel. Paul says that's the scripture we proclaim. That's the truth we proclaim. And so then Paul says, so why would you question it? Do you recognize what happens if you question that truth? It makes everything else vain. Makes everything else empty. There were some apparently who were denying the resurrection, said nobody rises from the dead. Nobody lives again after they die. We're not told what was motivating this teaching. We're not told why people were going around and saying that. But Paul wants them to understand the terrible consequences that would follow if that's true. If it's true that no one rises from the dead, and it's true that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what that would mean. Paul says two things would necessarily follow if the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, then our preaching is empty and our faith is in vain. What we preach is empty and what you've believed is empty. That's how important the resurrection of Jesus is. First, our preaching would be empty. There is no good news without a risen Lord. Right? We sometimes say, we sometimes summarize the good news in, in shorthand by saying, Jesus died for our sins. Right, the same way we sometimes say I'm saved by faith when I really mean I'm saved by grace through faith. It's a shorthand way of saying that. Saying Jesus died for my sins and that's how I'm saved is a shorthand way of saying Jesus was delivered up for my transgressions and raised for my justification. If he's only delivered up and not raised, that's not good news. Because what would that mean? It would mean that he took my sin on himself and he died in my sin and died. Um, that's not good news. His death is 
the, the commencement of our salvation, we could say. His resurrection is the consummation of our salvation. That we, they're both necessary for the good news to be good news. If he died, what would that mean without a resurrection? It would mean that sin and death and the curse win. It would send the message that not even the Son of God can take away the curse. Because when he takes the sin on, a, on himself, he dies. What, what is that as good news? If he's not raised up, where is the good news in that? It would send us the message that sin wins. That if the Son of God can't put an end to man's curse, no one can. Um, That's why Paul says, what what would we have to preach without a risen Lord? What, What would we talk about? In fact, he says, we've been misrepresenting God then. Because if we've been preaching things that happened as things that didn't happen, then we're a bunch of liars. And we're asking you to bet your life on something that's a lie. You know, Martin Luther goes even deeper and says, if Christ is not raised, then everything is not true. Um, in typical kind of Luther fashion, right? He, he says, if a person does not believe in the resurrection, he must deny in a lump the gospel and everything that is proclaimed of Christ and of God. For all of this is linked together as a chain. Whoever denies the resurrection must simultaneously deny far more. In brief, he must deny that God is God. Paul says we lose everything if if Christ was not raised. It would mean that everything we're preaching is empty. It would mean that our faith is in vain. Right? Faith is only as good as what you put your trust in. Right? Um, people say, we got to believe in something. Well, you know, it depends on what you're believing in. Um, you know, people will say, you just got to believe in yourself. Well, I can believe in myself all I want. It's not going to make me an Olympic athlete. hate to break it to you if you were thinking that. You, I can believe that all I want, but what am I putting my faith in? My athleticism? Um, faith is only as good as the object of faith. And if Christ is not raised... Where are we putting our trust? We're putting our trust in someone who's dead. Who can't help us. Um, Think of what what would cost in terms of how the catechism puts it. If he's not raised, he hasn't overcome death. If he's not raised, we don't share in righteousness with him. If he's not raised, we are not raised to a new life. If he's not raised, then we have no pledge of a future blessed resurrection. There's nothing to believe in either. Paul says there's no hope for the dead. Those who've already died are just lost. There's no hope for the living. Where's the hope if Christ is not raised? He said without a raised Christ, we're of all people most to be pitied. We're living for a lie. We're, we're suffering for a lie. We're sacrificing all these things for a lie. Um, you could be home right now. You're wasting your time being here if Christ is not raised. Paul wants them to understand what they're saying if they say the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised, I've got nothing to preach and you've got nothing to believe. That's how high the stakes are. That's why Paul wants to confirm the truth to them and say, enough playing that game. 
We don't need to worry about that because Christ is raised. Christ is raised. And Paul confirms that truth to them. Christ is risen from the dead, which means the gospel is true, which means your faith is not in vain, which means your hope for the life to come is real and indeed. Because just as if everything falls apart if Christ is not raised, if Christ is raised and he is raised, then everything holds together in his resurrection. That assures everything else is made new. Because Paul says he's the first fruits of a great harvest to come. And what happened in the fall of man? We fell and the whole world, the whole created order was ruined on account of our fall. But what happened when Christ walked out of that grave? When Christ was raised from the dead? It was the promise of a new beginning. Everything that had been ruined is about to be turned around. It began with him. It'll be continued to all of those who are raised with him. And then the whole world will be changed on account. A whole new order, a new heavens and a new earth will come. This is the great beginning of a whole new order. That begins in the resurrection of one man. That will lead to the resurrection of the church. And the resurrection of the world. Paul says all of creation is groaning Waiting for the revelation of the sons of man. Waiting for that day when man is fully changed and the world is fully changed. And the world becomes a world in which righteousness dwells. The kind of world that's hard to describe because it's kind of like an earth that's heaven and it's kind of like a heaven that's on earth. It's a new heavens and a new earth in which only righteousness dwells. Christ walking out of the grave began that. He began a chain of events that will happen in unbroken succession because he walked out of the grave. Just as in Adam's death everything was ruined, in the resurrection of Christ everything began to become new. That's the glorious truth. Calvin said Christ did not rise for himself alone. He came to restore everything that Adam ruined. And the first thing that Adam ruined was life. And so Christ restored life. And Adam's ruined life ruined the creation. And what is Christ going to do? Restore life and restore the creation. Um, He's the first fruits of a great harvest. Just as everything Adam ruined can be traced back to his death. Everything that Christ renews can be traced back to his resurrection. Because what walked out was something totally new. Read tonight the rest of 1 Corinthians 15. And think about what the newness looks like. How much better it is. Not perishable, but imperishable. Not temporal, but spiritual. Not corruptible, but incorruptible. That's a new world. It's a new world that begins with the resurrection of Christ. Everything that's restored, when it's restored, you can trace back to that moment. When Christ walked out of the grave, that changes everything. That's why he says to the Apostle John, fear not. I was dead, but behold, I'm alive. I'm alive forevermore. I hold the keys of death and Hades in my hands. I am alive. That changes everything. 
And Paul wants that truth to be hammered home to the people of God, that we would never lose faith and hope in that. That Christ is risen, and that changes everything. He has overcome our death. He has made us share in His righteousness. By His power, we are already raised to a new life. And His resurrection is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. That one day, if we were called to die in this life, we will walk out of our graves new. A part of that new order. Or maybe Christ will return in glory before we die and will be changed into that new order in a twinkling of the eye. But either way, we'll be able to trace it back to the fact that He is risen. That is history. What is resurrection has done? That's doctrine. That's theology. And that should lead us to doxology. To know that there is a life, both physical and spiritual, that awaits us. Not just a heavenly existence with God, as wonderful as that will be, but a true life, body and soul, as we were made to be. And that will all truly be because He is risen. Because He is risen. May we all embrace and acknowledge the truth of Easter every day of the year. Uh, that Christ is risen from the dead. And may we be given minds and hearts by the Holy Spirit to understand the meaning of that event. How Christ's resurrection has made all things new. And that because He's risen, we can be assured that by grace, through faith, Christ will save us from our sins and raise us from death to everlasting life. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the importance of that event, to know the truth that Christ is risen, that we have a gospel to preach and that our faith is not in vain. And We thank you for the way in which his resurrection is the beginning of the restoration of all things, that everything Adam ruined by his death, Christ has restored by his resurrection life. And Lord, may when we are stumbling and walking through the darkness and difficulty of this life, may we lift our eyes to consider the fact that the Lord Jesus is risen, the first fruits of a great harvest of renewal and resurrection that is surely coming, and may we rejoice in him. Hear us, we pray in his name. Amen.